Hi, and welcome to our Mojo Dojo Casa House. Hey! Wait, that didn't sound right. Let me try that again. Hello and welcome to another riveting episode of a podcast. As always, I'm Mitchell Regan. And joining me, after she's had a little chat by the lake with Albert Einstein, she is death destroyer of worlds, Teresa Stoddard. Take note of that. Hey, everybody. I cannot wait to talk about Barbie today. Teresa, you know this is the Oppenheimer episode, right? <sighs> I know, I know. Okay, well, lucky for you guys, that was great, too. Yeah, well, maybe we could talk about uh, our very different theater experience for seeing Oppenheimer. Uh, it's a theater we've been to for the first time ever, right? Yes. Okay, so let me talk you through this. We go check out South Chase Movie Times for Oppenheimer. They are zero. They're no longer showing it. So we're faced with a dilemma. Go watch it somewhere else. So I typed cute theaters near me into Google, and then I found the Indian, and I was automatically in love. I loved it. I was looking through the pictures and reviews, and my heart was set on this. This is where we're going. I don't care. End of discussion. Yeah, I, I want to say uh, the ticket prices were also worth it. I also was extremely impressed at how uh, cute the venue is. It seems like a venue that is much more conducive to a full-on festival, like a theater festival experience. Uh, you could even tell it has a smaller screen, but... It it's, didn't detract. No, it did not at all. Uh, the seats were incredible. I can't wait to go back and have a, a full-on diner experience there. Yeah. So I know we say no buzz marketing, but uh, if you have a chance and you live in the Central Florida area, you definitely, definitely should try to make at least one showing of the NCN Theater. Uh, it's between Winter Park and Maitland. It's a really, really great time. Was there anything else you wanted to add to your experience? Okay, so first up, you drive in, the parking lot is interesting. It's just like they throw those slabs around and they're like, these are parking spaces. But then, Mitchell directed me towards the venue itself. It's covered by really old oak trees, there's a fountain, outdoor seating, there's a bar. And then we went and got our tickets. The guy commented on our shirts, which obviously, like, really made it great. We have our Jackie Daytona shirts. Human bartender. But anyway, um, right when we went in, there was a huge poster of Oppenheimer. So, it, you know, kind of set the mood. And also, we chose this because it gave us a 35mm screening of the film versus digital like we're all used to and I've never experienced that and I don't think Mitchell had either so I was very interested in that I know he mentioned the seating but there's so many different kinds there was tables like large tables better than some restaurants I've been to the seats were all comfortable and it was packed but not like suffocating and I have a thing about people being near me so take my word for it but anyway, the last thing I wanted to mention is that in front of the, the screen itself is curtains and a stage. This is a legit theater. So, and I almost forgot the best part of the entire experience. Free water. Full cups of water. With refills. I had like four cups of water because I was so thirsty. It was great. Okay, let's get into it. Well, I just wanted to add that, you know, take note of the theaters. Just give us some full cups of water. It's the least you can do. It really makes a big difference. Um, I also wanted to mention that uh, it... You mentioned that it had a, the curtains for a theater. One of the really cool things is they put on different events throughout the year. Uh, including actual filmed 
plays that they've done through, it looks like a Broadway company. Um, they had that one that they previewed that had Zachary Quinto in it. That looks so good. So, uh, it was a great theater experience. Highly recommend it. Um, I'm so glad that we wound up seeing this movie in 35mm. It was really, the way it was shot was incredible. So, without further ado, we're going to move on to kind of our spoiler-free coverage of Oppenheimer. We're going to talk about just general things that we thought about the movie, and then we'll let you guys know when we go into our deep dive, when we go into our um, more extensive little scenes that we liked, things that we liked from the movie. Uh, but first off, I just want to ask, first impressions, what did you think of the movie? Okay, guys. You are going to have to carve out a chunk of your day. This movie is three hours long. It's good. It's a good three hours, but it feels six hours long. You are immersed in it, and the next... This whole day of your life is about Oppenheimer. Poppy. But at least um, Cillian Murphy is really good on the ice. And in this, oh my gosh. Give him that fedora. Yes, please. Not to mention the, the pipe as well. All good touch. He does a fantastic job of portraying the person who's the director of the Manhattan Project. Um, I think that there are so many phenomenal actors that you don't even realize they're in the movie. And then you look up and you go, wow, that person was in it. We have Matt Damon. We have Robert Downey Jr. Uh, we have... Uh, Rami Malek's em in it. Rami Malek's in it. Emily Blunt. Florence Pugh. We have uh, James Darcy. Kenneth Branagh is in it. Oh my gosh, Matt Damon is in it. I did say that, but yes, he, he is. He well, is. His mustache was so ridiculous, we had to say it twice. That is true. Uh, actually, really interesting story. Matt Damon actually said, after he did, uh, I think it was his movie where he's on Mars, that he was going to take a little bit of a break from acting. Except if Christopher Nolan wanted him to be in a movie. That's the kind of friends you need. They're always down for your project, even if they're on their own little hiatus. But I feel the same way. There are certain people, like, if they're involved with something, I'll be like, absolutely no questions asked. Glad to see it goes all the way to the film world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, especially right now, just again, I think we've done this every single podcast, but, you know, supporting the writer's strike, supporting the actor's strike, do not cross the line or you are a scab. Everyone hates you and you should die. That's putting it very lightly. Again, Destroyer of Worlds. <laughs> I don't know if any of y'all are American Horror Story fans, but you might want to take a look um, that right on the edge of it possibly being resolved, they're going to go ahead and cross the line. So, yeah, that's not what you want to do, Ryan Murphy. It's not. Uh, I'm going to go and talk about some of the box office numbers. Uh, this is, I think, the fourth highest grossing film right now that Christopher Nolan's ever done. This is obviously behind the Dark Knight series that he did. Uh, it's incredible for a movie that's mostly an art house movie. Okay, but you can feel the pulse of the art house just by... The fact that when they go into the past, you're not, like, suffering some tragic bangs. But it goes to black and white. And seeing it with film in the 35mm, like, I'm not one for black and white movies. You know that. I was, it was great. I could not look away. The flickering on the right upper hand side of the screen. The occasional, like, almost football shape ovals of light. I... I'm hooked. I want to see all the 35mm movies I can from now on, and I have Oppenheimer to thank for that. And a lot of that has to go into the way Nolan filmed it, 
where he used IMAX ca uh, cameras the whole time, and it created a completely different type of... Like, he really... His, the film reel was apparently, like, 600 pounds large. How many miles do you think that is? More than I could walk. Hey, guys, if any of you know how many miles that is, please let me know. Uh, but on top of that, um, the, that was the first time that any IMAX character, uh, any IMAX camera shot in black and white. And so they had to use a very special type of film in order to capture that difference between your color and your black and white, um, IMAX 35 millimeter shots. Um... So, right now, Oppenheimer is fourth in box office worldwide. It's behind only Super Mario Brothers movie, Barbie, and The Garden of the Galaxy. Imagine Robert Oppenheimer knows that he's behind all these cartoons and <laughs> just like, okay, what's beating me, guys? Okay, well, uh, Mr. Oppenheimer, brace yourself, Oppie. You've got Barbie... You've got Super Mario Brothers. What was the other one you said? Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. Not exactly a cartoon, but it's, you know, it's got the vibe. Um, yeah. That is hilarious. I'd like to think that he'd be pretty proud of that. Well, they're all great. As you can see on our other episodes, we cover Guardians of the Galaxy and Barbie. So we just need to grab Super Mario. Then we would cover the top yeah. four movies of this year. Hilariously, and thankfully, it did beat out Fast X, which I have no time for. I've never Family! Seen. Right. That's not my favorite iteration of Family. My favorite iteration of Family is Family from your worst. Good show. Um, <gasps> so Do you want to tell everybody about the kind of, like... drama surrounding the, uh, the scene with Florence Pugh. Right. And it's really not that dramatic, but not there dramatic are... for people. There are... <laughs> for people. There are two, uh, and if I don't know anyone who would be taking their kids to see this, it is rated R. It is the first Christopher Nolan film to be rated R, and I think the only two with actual, like, nudity in it. Um, but I think when it first premiered, a lot of people seemed to be up in arms with some of the nude scenes involving Florence Pugh, especially given the um, age of the two different actors. But I think both of them were done tastefully. Nothing was... I mean, I've seen more extreme things on HBO. What do you think? Okay, we've seen more things on the National Geographic. Even the sex scenes, they're not sexual in any manner. They're more, like, surreal. And there's... Um, yes? No, you're right. Okay. <laughs> you seem to be considering my words, which I do appreciate. But, no, it's very surreal. There are words to be considered. <laughs> One is a real... One is a real scene one's imagined. And that's all I can say without giving y'all spoilers. Right. Is there anything else that you would want to mention, uh, General? I did want to say that his uh, cinematographer is the same one that uh, is was used for Nope. And it really shows. Uh, I thought that that was one of the most beautiful films that's been out in the last five years. Uh, Shout-outs to Hoyt Van Hoytema, and I apologize if I got your name completely wrong. I thought the film was so beautiful. We'll talk about specific scenes that really stick out to the both of us, but for the most part, just from like a visual standpoint, the things that's done with the camera is absolutely incredible. Um, and again, I'm so glad that we got to see that in a 35mm I would highly recommend, I hope this movie, through 
Oscar season is going to get a re-release. I hope if you get a chance, you really need to see it in the theater. I think it makes a big difference. Did you, is there anything else you wanted to mention from a general standpoint? Well, I was counting down the moments until they allowed a woman to come on screen. Um, that took a while. I'm like, are there no women in the 1920s? No women allowed? Oh, that tracks, but, um, hmm. Then eventually they allowed them, but not more, not, not for much at all. Um, yeah, it was just lack of women. Lack of women. Was that your main critique of the movie without getting into spoilers? So without getting into spoilers, yes, but also it's not like I didn't expect that much. I didn't think, ooh, this is going to be a great woman's film. Like, did women even work on this film? Because I see the male gaze everywhere. But, uh, and maybe like the physicist gaze, but other than that... I know that as far as, if you're talking about women behind the scenes, I know the production designer and editor are both women. Women in any scenes? No. I'm, of course, being a little dramatic over it, but um, it was definitely, like, very, very manly movie. I also think um, that that's a fair criticism, especially given the fact that this is a movie that came out the same, the exact opening weekend that the Greta Gerwig Barbie movie came after, and all of the... Successes that came with her. Well, not only that, but all of the themes that were discussed in Barbie could definitely apply to the issues that are in Oppenheimer. So basically, you look up the word patriarchy in the dictionary and you find the Oppenheimer movie. Yeah, I do think that it has more to say about just beyond, like, men, men, horrible men, men stuff, but... More like horrible genocide bomb stuff. <laughs> and I, I do think it is very deep uh, on multiple levels. I also think if we were to project a little bit forward to Oscar buzz... I definitely think that a lot of the performances are going to be Oscar-worthy. I think Cillian Murphy, I think uh, Downey was incredible in the movie. I think Damon. And then the last thing I was going to mention was, I definitely think this is going to sweep all of the technical awards. Your sound effects, your sound uh, editing, the production design. I think that Oscar season... It's going to really take a lot of these things. What do you think? So I think Oppenheimer is going to be a straight-up Oscar magnet. And I think that we're going to see a lot of the wins from it. And I think one of those is going to have to be cinematography. How could it not? Like, if something beats that out, I cannot wait to watch it. Because it's a feast for your eyes. So what did you think about... Cillian Murphy's performance as Oppenheimer. Yes. Can you I, elaborate? <laughs> I didn't even know I liked Cillian Murphy, but he came on screen. I'm like, I don't know who this is, but okay. <laughs> um, no, he was so perfect for this because he still, he had so much more humanity than this movie could have portrayed. And it really shows, like, he knows what he's going to do is not a great thing, but he's got to do it. But that doesn't mean that life is going to be easy for him after. And I'm not talking about just like publicly or interpersonally, like with himself and knowing that he's unleashed a horror upon the world. You can really feel, without the film telling you, you can really feel the weight of what he has accomplished in the um just his his performance with just his it's it's so weird how like a jawline can shape it but just 
he it almost like through the movie it seems like he grows tireder and tireder because of his effects that he knows what he's done to the world and changed history forever um what do you think about downey's performance so okay for the without lo- spoiling for the longest there's time, a big one in there for the longest time i didn't realize it was him that is amazing and then all of a sudden i heard him speak and i'm like looking a little closer peering through those glasses saw the nose and was like, fuck, that's Robert Downey Jr. Because I remember you saying he'd been in it. So I was like looking around like, is he going to just make a quick little cameo? No, he gave me the best performance I've ever seen from him. And really at the perfect time, because before this, I was like, how are they going to un-Iron Man Iron Man? He's on Iron Man, folks. He is his character from that. I from really think more than any other which I I think that like these superhero movies sometimes should get lifetime achievement awards for people who are in them for multiple years but I think that this might it'll definitely give him a, a nominee I think this he chose this script because it might give him his Oscar I think he was incredible in it um you can tell he put the work in, so I really hope he gets it. Yeah, me too. I mean, Robert Downey... The poor, lowly uh, what actor, up-and-comer there, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, it's the first time he's been really into anything. I think this guy might be going places. So, unless you have anything else you wanted to say from a general standpoint, I wanted to go into a little bit more specific scenes that really stood out. So, is there anything else you wanted to cover that we haven't really mentioned that isn't spoiler heavy? No, I'm thinking what I'm going to mention, though, is going to be in line with what you're going to mention. Which yeah, so is we can speak on it. Albert Einstein. I've never seen a better, like, portrayal of him. I've never seen him come so alive and become somebody that I wasn't, like, horrified by, kind of. But this guy, like, I want to go hang out by the lake with him. So, moving forward, we are going to spoil Oppenheimer, mentioning specific scenes. Now, obviously, it's a thing that happened in history. Read a book. Matter of fact, you could read the book it's based on by the two authors, Kai Bird and Martin Sherwin. But, again, if you haven't seen the movie and you want to come back after that... We are going to spoil parts of Oppenheimer in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Alright, spoiler time. So, throughout the movie, there are certain scenes that stick out for me. Is there any specific scenes that stick out that you were just overly impressed by or something you wanted to comment on? Every single scene... It shows the stars, it shows space, it shows atoms, fission, fusion, all of the thoughts in his head that are like, this is how you do it. I loved seeing them visually because I cannot see things in my head. And it's very cool to see like what people can imagine, especially like renowned physicists. Um... Is it a horrible thing that they created? Absolutely, but it's still... Somebody was going to create it. Um, did it need to be used? Honest. That's another podcast. That's another podcast. Yeah. No. But... <laughs> they do say, though, at least it wasn't in the hands of the Nazis. So if one if one of people were not going to create it, at least it wasn't that, and we wouldn't be speaking German the rest of our lives... Um, I also do love those quick cuts. A lot of them happen mostly at the beginning of the movie, and in a way almost foreshadow the big event that happens in Los Alamos. Um, so those were like really nice inserts that were in the beginning. However, is there any like specific scenes you can recall that were really impressed by or? So it's not so much a scene as things that happened in between scenes, almost. It was the stamping of feet 
by a large crowd that you don't know what it's for until you see it. Yeah, and so what you're talking about is after the detonation of the bomb in for Hiroshima and then Nagasaki, after that is the bombs are dropped, there's a big rally that happens in the movie. Um, and you hear, finally, that stopping of feet that Oppenheimer is hearing throughout the movie. The movie also has a lot of serialistic, like you said, a lot of serialism, surrealism even. <laughs> um, I really like the ones where he's cutting between um, things that happened in his past to things that happened later on in his life. Like we discussed before, the sex scene, I thought the the scene where he's finally admitting to the affair with his wife in the room, and he's imagining the playing out of that affair. Before that, though, he's just in the chair, and suddenly his clothes have disappeared. But it's not quite that scene yet. It's showing him laid bare in front of all of those people. Right, in front of the kangaroo courts. That all, all of the details were incredibly accurate. Um, that's what they set him up to fail because other people wanted to make their career off of him. So if, you know, you really want to know the true story, they really do a great job of painting what that experience was like. I also really love the scene, that specific scene with the stomping of the feet, when he is imagining in the audience them being affected by the bomb uh it starts with that the white light that comes in and then little by little you see people coming to the effects of that radiation coming to the effects of what an atomic explosion would occur yeah like when the lady the lady's face started melting off and then you see more and more you see couples crying holding one another and then just as suddenly as the atomic bomb goes off, you get a fully charred, black, sooty skeleton. Yeah, it's haunting. Like, obviously, in reality, it's haunting. But they do a really good job depicting that effect. And I really think that the movie does an amazing job of... There's this build-up throughout to the detonation of the bomb scene. And then from there... You deal with, just like in a nuclear holocaust, the fallout. You feel the fallout of his creation. Yeah, and I would like to point out that they never show the impact of Japan. And I think it's good because in today's climate with people cheering so openly for racism and prejudice that... They might be like, oh yeah, that happened, boo. Like, they don't want to glorify that. In no way, even once, does any... You don't feel glory for this. You do not feel... It isn't even so much tragedy porn. It's just the story and how it really impacted him. And then when they were done with him, they were done with him. His job was over. Well, I thought they did a great job. And again, we're talking a little bit more specific on plots here. Uh, what I thought they did a great job of doing was... I felt in the beginning they were sensationalizing, to a small degree, the science that was put into the construction of the um, atom bomb. I thought that they really did a great job at the beginning trying to explain, wow, what a great achievement. And then once it occurs, that's where, like, the breaking point of the movie happens, and you can see that this thing that Oppenheimer thought was going to be a wonderful creation of the splitting of the atom, something he was so obsessed with, the idea of um, creating something that's never been happened before, that all of that weight falls on him when he is just seen as someone who's just created a weapon. Yes, and then once that weapon is created, and he's like, okay, let me go to Washington, and they're like, no. So he's now obsolete. He made it, they harnessed it, they stole it, and they were like, thank you, you're done here. 
Um, yeah. They just treated him like he was another soldier that they could use in their own war. Um, a lot of it is also illustrated with the scene when he goes and meets Harry Truman. Do you remember that scene when he's in the president's office? Oh, yes. Do you remember what he tells him? He says, get that crybaby out of here. Oh, yeah, don't let him back in. Do you know that he actually said that to him? Yes. Yeah, they took that straight from the book that's based off of the... They made the movie. Well, Oppenheimer thought that he was creating this, yes, horrible, horrible device, this weapon... But it was supposed to end all the wars. And everyone knows, yes, that happened. There's never been a war since. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. wait. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe well, not. I also really like that they do a great job depicting his life after he's created it and his desire to find a way right after the bomb is created. His very first thoughts are, okay, now we have to regulate it. That's what that whole kangaroo court is about they are trying to strike his security clearance because he wants to negotiate some sort of arms deal where they can dismantle these nuclear bombs u.s government was like nope okay so i'm ready i don't know if you have any more to say on that but i am ready to talk about the king of petty in this movie. Oh, yeah. Mr. Robert Downey Jr. Oh, my goodness. I just have one quote for you, and that is when he's in his office, and he goes, you know, it's amateurs who reach for the sun. True power lies in the shadows. And that is exactly the kind of shady character Robert Downey Jr. plays Excellently. He is a perfect embodiment of what Oppenheimer was worried about with them using these scientists as a political tool. So there's this, uh, I think he's a senator, who's trying to get a cabinet position to work, I think, in Eisenhower's cabinet. And the way he does it is to try to discredit Oppenheimer's great work. So what what did you how did you feel about that kind of heel turn that happens when Robert Downey Jr. is kind of revealed to be the villain of the film? I was honestly shocked. I didn't see it coming, even though like Robert Downey Jr. be a great bad guy, you know? Um even when he's likable, he's kind of a bad guy. And um no, it just, I was like, whoa. But the fact is, in the end, even if he quote-unquote won, he didn't win. Because he was obsessed. Obsessed with Oppenheimer making him look bad in front of um, Einstein. And when it comes down to it, they didn't talk about him at all. I want to talk about at that at the end. Because I honestly think that the film lives and dies on that scene. I really do. I think that, that that scene alone with the conversation between Einstein and Oppenheimer really create... I, I think that really seals the deal. I really do agree. It would make a great like thumbnail for it if you were previewing the movie because it's something innocuous at the beginning. Let me just mention um like let me just say something to my buddy Einstein real quick and then go right and <laughs> and Mr. Mr. Downey Jr. there was like what did you do what did you say to him now he hates me like all drama queen like when he was like it was literally nothing like and he kind of thought he was on his side and then he betrays him and you kind of get you kind of guessed early that it was nothing had nothing to do with it. Oh, yeah. When they get, got close, I was like, it's nothing. I also really... Uh, like, I, what What could it have been? Like, oh, he's such a meanie head. Like, he couldn't have said anything to, like, make someone 
just outright be like, nah. What did you think about the quick cuts that they did of the the woman he has the affair with, and you find out that she drowns herself in the tub? How do you think they handled that? Well, I'm never generally in Camp Drowning Tub, so... That being said, I do think, as tub drownings go, it was tasteful, but also, like, set up kind of weirdly and erotically in, like, the, like, male gaze, because I feel like, had I been a female director, they would have, like, shown maybe, like, some bloat or some hair in the water, like, some, like, a more grotesque, this was very delicately placed down there, and, like, look, this is kind of what happens. Um, but I do appreciate, like, there was no, there was no nudity, there was no, that's why I'm like, that's really weird that people are up in arms about anything sexually related in this movie, because it's really not there. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's weird how there's a sex scene in this movie, but the movie is not sexy at all. No. It is almost like as a way to get these characters naked so you can see their vulnerability. So this is like the the bomb, the weapon, like birth control. Like it's not, you don't want to bang. Even though he's hot, you still don't really want to bang him. Talking about the bomb, there's like really two scenes left I wanted to talk about. Uh, besides, I, I think Emily Blunt does a great job, even though she has a kind of a thankless role. Of kind of being like... As do all women in this film! Okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I really think that her role is kind of underrated as as this person who has been Oppenheimer's, Oppenheimer's wife for so long. But I think the scene where she rejects the scientist he was working with, uh, with that handshake, because she knows that all of this, all of this is for show and is bullshit... I think it was incredibly well done. What do you think about anything that stand out for her or that scene? What do you think of the scene? Okay, so you said it's a thankless role, but I just want to say I feel like it's true to real life. I agree 100%. Um, yeah. And I think also, if you want to go really metaphorical, um, it's like he's become this larger-than-life character, and all these people around him are just pulled into his orbit like gravity, and she's just one of the ones who has to suffer from his choices and decisions, from his infidelities, and she still stays with him, and maybe the only one who has his back the entire time. Yes, in true partner fashion... She does not really support any of the stuff that he's doing, but she's there to have to deal with the outcome and try to get through. So, I'm going to ask, oh, I'm going to just break it down to two more scenes so we can uh, move on to our very last thing that we're going to talk about. Uh, what did you think of the effects and how they did it when they detonated the bomb at Los Alamos? I jumped and clasped my hands over my ears in true autistic fashion. I had to hide from the immense noise. Um, Visually stunning. Um, They do that sound a couple times to you, but not as much as the one time where it's detonated. Um, Yeah. What did you think of the choice to give you that visual, the explosion? In the beginning. Before, not only the beginning, but I'm talking about in that scene. They, it's about a good 15 to 20 seconds of special effects of explosion before you hear anything. Well, so light they, does travel faster than sound. I know. I love that they did that. Well, it would be a really big oversight if they did it. It's true. You're like, okay, physicists. Um. But, but, I mean, how many times have you seen a movie where there's an explosion and you hear the sound at the same time? I think it's wonderful because the only sound you hear is that quote that I kind of used at the beginning. The, the quote that Oppenheimer is probably the most famous for, the I am death, the destroyer of, I have become death, the destroyer of worlds, and then you see it, and then you hear it, and then I think you hear it for the rest of the film. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, 
And I think maybe my favorite scene in the movie. And there's a lot of great ones that I, we haven't even run over. And we don't want to, you know... Again, guys, it is three... Three hours. Full hours. Did you like the first half more or the back half more? Um, I honestly don't have a preference. I think that it needed all three acts to get to where it got. I agree. Um... So yes, more happen, but like they start the, like, it's very anachronistic, which I like in a movie. It like gives you pieces and it builds off and then it comes back and well, the timeline is all over the well, place. I was going to say, one thing we I forgot to mention, it. one thing we forgot to mention is there are probably four or five timelines that are going on at the same time. You you have him in his youth, uh, you have him when, I love this scene, i forgot to mention this one. When he takes his hat for the first time and his corncob pipe, almost like he's putting on, like, some sort of superhero outfit. I think it's almost like one layer separating him from what he's doing. Because he can't quite come to terms. Even though, yes, he did it. Even though, yes, the other guy pushed the button. But he's like... This is my persona. It's not me. I didn't create it. My so persona like, created it. Oppenheimer almost, in a way, became this death character where he's not totally able so to So it's separate. really a duality. So he's both at once, simultaneously. Oof. That's, that's, that's beautiful. The last thing I do want to mention uh, is that last scene... Uh, obviously, this is after uh, Downey gets his comeuppance, and he's voted out of the cabinet because there's uh, a scene where Rami Malek's character basically dresses him down and is like, you are a shill of a man, you are dishonest, you are trying to put down Oppenheimer just so that you can feel better about yourself. And the whole reasoning... The whole reasoning behind this because he can't get over himself because he thinks, just like Teresa said earlier, that Oppenheimer makes all these people turn against him, including Albert Einstein. But then finally, finally at the end, we get that scene. This scene is probably 30 to 45 minutes in the movie where he's talking to Albert Einstein. We finally get to hear that conversation. I feel like what? that happened later in the movie. Really? Yeah, but it was just this one perceived slight that ruined this entire man's life and made him try to ruin another man's life. And, like, the humanity of that is so... Like, just... It happens. There's people. You've had co-workers. You've had bosses. Their reason is to be petty and to come for you. So Levi Strauss, to set it up... Um, just invited Oppenheimer, which he does several times in the movie, um, where Oppenheimer assumes someone is asking him for a job, and he always spins it on them and says that he's considering it. So, this is at Princeton, um, and Einstein already works there, and... Oppenheimer's considering working there. Levi Strauss, who's played by Downey, is the one who convinces him to start working at Princeton. And then you finally, at the end, get to hear that conversation. What did you think about that final scene in the movie? Oh, it was perfect. Um, like, it's just so... Okay, let me take this down, strip it down to the most basic elementary, even human child level of if someone says you did something that you didn't do there's nothing you can do to prove it otherwise and that was the tender to set Levi Strauss aflame so I think you're talking mostly about this man's ego and getting himself a little bit humbled I want to talk about though those things that Einstein said to Oppenheimer where he had already gone through that um, wrongful persecution 
Oh, and then where people kind of look down on you, like, oh, you're you're an old man. You don't know what you're doing anymore. Well, it's not only that, but a lot of people, because of his German upbringing, blamed him on a lot of the stuff that the Nazis did. It's just things that have happened in history. The thing that Oppenheimer went through was because he created this bomb and because he was someone who cared about peacetime and went to communist meetings... He then gets vilified to be the scapegoat so that someone, he could take the fall so someone else could rise. Same thing happens to Einstein, same thing happens to him. But what's the wonderful turn? The wonderful turn is that Einstein tells him that what they're going to do is they are going to throw a party for you. They're going to honor you. And you know it's not for you. It's for them. I like to call that the scapegoat towards pipeline that I just made up right now. That's <laughs> quite the pipeline, but it's it's true. It the and they do a great job of illustrating that, showing him receiving his medal of honor. Uh, but he, again, he was like tarred. He was um, scapegoated. He never felt like he was the inventor and the scientist he was because they used him just as a weapon. Yes. And then with that end scene with Einstein and Oppenheimer, while all that was great, I was just like transfixed on the gorgeous lake and just like the serenity of the scene behind them in juxtaposition to the movie itself and what it's made for so like I was enjoying that and then the final shot is just gorgeous of him with his I mean it's it's almost in every trailer but him with his hat just looking forward and it's kind of like him looking forward and also looking through the past while understanding what his future Einstein was talking to him lies in front of him is there anything else you want to add to the discussion on the movie no, um, basically, if you want to know more about Oppenheimer, read a book, read history books, but don't read them in Florida or uh, a lot of other southern states. Um, what, what we're rating would you give the movie out of ten? Man, put me on the spot. I am. Do you want me to tell um, you my rating, or do you want to go first? I feel like maybe a 9.2. Wow! So, and I did not expect to like this movie. Like, even be like, I do not even expect to, like, tolerate this movie. <laughs> by how... I'm so glad you went with me. Manly, man, 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 man it looked. I was not looking forward to it, but I was going to humor you for the sake of the podcast. And then I was going to talk more about Barbie. But honestly, this... Um, I think they're great companions. Barbie I'm... and Oppenheimer. I really think Barbie Heimer can make it. <laughs> yeah. Barbenheimer. Right. Movies are back. Um, yeah. I I so I I will say um from a movie perspective, like how movies are made, I would probably give it from a 9.5 to a 10. Because wow. remember when you asked me before, what is your perfect movie? Is, is a perfect per movie? I don't know if this is my so like if someone would go, what is your favorite movie? This wouldn't be my favorite movie. No, because it's not. It's not a positive. It's not even a positive viewing experience. But it's a meaningful one, and it's like, it's satisfying, and like, like, it delivers. I think from a movie standpoint, from a technical standpoint, I think that this movie is gorgeous. I think this the I think the sound editing, if they don't win, it's a crime. I think that from like a movie making standpoint, what one critic said is one of the most important films of the twenty first century already. Now, I don't know if I wanna go that far. because um, I have some critiques with like A, the the lack of a lot of women involved. And people also, of color, zero. and people of color as well. Um, but I also, the, I think the screenplay. There's some parts that are, you know, like, less to be leaves to be desired. 
But I think from just a pure movie-making standpoint, this movie is as close to a perfect movie as you can find. Um, yes, it's much more of the textbook perfect movie versus, like, the spirit of a perfect movie. Yes. Yes. So what... Yeah. And my, my rating, again, would be, like, either a 9.5. Did I enjoy it as much as Barbie? No. But can I see... The... I didn't even enjoy it as much as Mario, even though this is profoundly a much better movie. Right. But sometimes you want fun, you want escapism, but this, it was... A perfectly executed movie. Especially for the content. I would like to see this form for all kinds of um, different um, science biopics. Yeah, and you could also tell it was there was a lot of work done to it. Okay, one thing. Sure. Imagine, imagine. I'm imagining. That Christopher Nolan and his IMAX camera okay. team up with the people behind Hidden Pictures and go that way. That would be really cool. That would be cool. Um, but then he would actually have to have women in his, his movies. Is he allergic to women? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, we're going to take a short break, and then we will have a, at this point, probably a, a quick discussion about one of our favorite television shows that's sadly ending this season. Uh, and we will join the other side of the break to talk about our one of our favorite shows, that's currently running and coming to the end, and that is Reservation Dogs. So good. So catch us on the other side of the break. And we're back. So we're going to talk just a little bit of a check-in with our friends down at the reservation. We're going to talk about Reservation Dogs. This is the third season in the show that has been... Um, I think it's one of my favorite shows in the past four to five years. Okay, yes. It's uh, created by Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi. It depicts life in a reservation in Oklahoma, correct? You know, I'd never listened to where it was from. I, I think it's Oklahoma. Really care. Yeah, so what, what What do you think about the show? Okay, I'm going to start this off by saying, in my head, they are not related at all, but three, it might be that they're on Hulu other than Primo, but three TV shows, just the heart of them, Remind me of one another. Abbott Elementary, Primo, and Reservation Dogs. Something ties a through line. And it's just, I think, maybe the heart and the specific culture um, of a show. And it's shown to us, but, like, we're not included. We're not supposed to be. We're watching, and it's great. And just as a reminder, this is our spoiler-free discussion. We'll talk about maybe one specific episode that stands out in this season, uh, but it'll be a really short discussion. So I just wanted to go in and I wanted to say, um, how, I 100% I agree, I think those three shows do an amazing job of depicting, depicting cultures that we don't usually see often in movies and television, and I think that this show, along with those, also has like such a, like a, like a, positive vibe even if they go through adversity it's very endearing endearing is a great word to describe it if you're looking for a show that you're like i kind of want a, a change of pace where i just i'm hanging out with an entirely really cool community of characters that is now three seasons long and sadly finishing this show really does it and it's really hard to talk about like the plot because every episode is like distinctly different However, like, every episode, in my opinion, is amazing. I absolutely, 100% love the four main characters between Bear, Alora, Cheese, and Willie Jack. Oh, my God. Cheese is goals. Okay. Very, very close tie for me between Cheese and Willie Jack. They're like the perfect, like, peanut butter and jelly. It also has Zon McLaren in it who is one of my favorite television actors. Uh, he was in that one AMC show. That Dark we, Twins? 
Yeah, start. We got to get back to that. We got to get back point, to that. We got to just restart it. Yeah, it was great. It just it came was. at a busy time for us. Uh, but he plays Big, who is like the sheriff of this this reservation, and man, does he get off to some great stuff. Um, I also love uh, just like all the different types of characters. I love Bear's mom. I love going to the the what is it the IMS office where like it's immigration, yeah. but through the I think, like th- that could just be a, a a show, just the people there, the woman behind the counter. <laughs> Any other thoughts that you? I, I I'm so sad to see this go. I wish it could go on forever. I do too, but um, I think they'll be leaving it behind a very great trio of seasons. Um, I don't know if that's a term, but it is now. What I really love about this is even the most minor character is somehow more three-dimensional than kind of like second-tier characters on most shows. And you could also really tell with the creators, especially Sterling Harjo, and he, he also puts a lot of people of Native American, First World... Um, Indigenous. Indigenous people behind the camera as well, like directing. You could tell that he, like these people in the community are people he knows. You could definitely tell that, like, the bear is definitely someone he grew up with. Um, the the person that it, it all starts with the losing of a friend. You could tell that's something he's been through. That yes. These group of people... He you had could, his own Daniel. Right, exactly. And I think that personal involvement in it just makes this so much better and so much more memorable. Well, yes, it's true for anything. Um, just like um, I'll mention briefly Euphoria, his drug addiction, he puts it all into Rue. That's all I'll say on that, but it's very like... Yeah. You use your hurt in your art. Yeah, I think it's I think it's absolutely beautiful. Now, um, there's still, I think we're on the third episode that has aired for this season. No, sorry, we've been four through. It's been it's been pretty interesting. It's caught up. The fourth episode. I think the fourth episode will be good. We got to talk about the third. Oh, you are correct. So we have about six more episodes left. And then after the season, I'd love to do kind of just like, well, general, we thought about the, the show and then how we wrapped up and everything. So what I'm going to talk about now, so it's going to be spoilers for the third episode of season three of Reservation Dogs in five, four, three, two, one. Okay, we're back. Dear lady. Dear lady. Dear lady. Yes. That episode. Amazing. The way they depicted the way. Straight up horror movie. Woo! The scene where she's dragged. Well, no, no. Where her friend is dragged. um, Oh my gosh. And they show it upside down from his perspective. The filmmaking on that was incredible. It was seriously a straight up horror movie. Terrifying. And what's worse is this is true. This is the reservation kids that were stolen from their families and made to go to a boarding school. They shaved off their hair, which is very significant in indigenous culture. Yes, exactly. It is their identity. It's spiritual to them. It is so important. And they want to whitewash them. They want to... They won't let them speak their language. They call it, like, savage or demon or... What did you think about the way they depicted how English is heard from their perspective? Oh, I loved it, because we're so used to, like, Charlie Brown teacher voice for, like... Well, I'm not used to it. For, for foreign languages, like, right. shows, not that, but something I can... But this was, like, like, scary sounds. And, like, it was scary sounds to them, because these people, like... This is a fact I always use. The United States government killed all the buffaloes to starve the natives and make them um, 
dependent on the United States government to give them lard in order to make their fry bread, and that contributes to diabetes and um, because they're in a food desert. And this happens now. Like, this is a big problem. And I wanted to add one more thing. Sure. The, the writer's strike, this is one of the biggest shows that we need to advocate for. Because right. um, a few of the actors were showing what they got, and it was like 37 cents for the entire three seasons. That is unacceptable. They are impeccable actors, and they need they need to get paid. Uh, 100%. The artists need to get paid. The actors need to get paid. The writers need to get paid. They all need to get paid. So, so by those specific actors, we're talking about, again, all indigenous people. Uh, we have the uh, Pharaoh Wu Natai, who plays Bear. We have Devery Jacobs, who plays Alora. We have uh, Paulina Alexis, who is amazing as Willie Jack. Uh, and we have uh, Lane Factor, who plays Cheese. Those are our four main characters, and they are all fantastic. But the one, like I said, the I one... I think it was the aunt who got, like, the 37 cents, but none of them should. That's unacceptable. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, she's great, too. Yes. They're all fantastic. And these are shows that we really should champion because they show different cultures. They really, like, for people who are like, oh, I wish that things were more diverse. They are. You just have to seek them out on television. Or you have to find, you know, art by people who don't look like you. Um, but yeah, just to cap it off, I hope the rest of the season is as great as the other seasons have been. Uh, it has been really good, but I just... that The Dear Lady episode was... Because we start off the series with the Dear Lady with Big. Right. And just this, this cult figure that exists in a lot of Native American tribes, just like other ones as well and I, I just love that she her whole existence is based upon vengeance for the horrible things that men have done to people. What does Bear say first? Like, are you here to kill me? Because she know, he knows that she's seeking revenge and looking for, for people who are better. Okay, and if you want to read stories about the Deer Lady and others, then you're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to look up indigenous authors, and they share their folklore with you. They share their fantasy with you. Read, read, diverse. You can't just watch and read the same things and expect things to change. You need to put your money where your mouth is. That's, that's exactly right. Well, I think we've really solved everything with that episode, don't you? <laughs> if only people would listen. Um, so I don't know. build bombs. Don't build bombs. Be nice to dear ladies. And read. And don't cross a fucking line. Um, so before we go, though, I think you wanted to share a couple of things that we we're doing for our listeners oh yeah um if you guys want to get that cool mantis um pop vinyl figure from funko i don't know what happened with my mouth just there but bear with me um we have that the giveaway ends in two days so we'll two go ahead days. and send it out yeah it wow. up fast and what do they have to do for that again so subscribe to our podcast give us five stars five I mean, you stars can only you could rate us whatever, but five stars no, is what five we Five stars want. is the only acceptable. <laughs> um, can we legally say that? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think we just did. <laughs> share us. So we're most active on TikTok. We're most active on Facebook. And we're like medium active on so Instagram. what are the accounts for those again? On everything, you're going to find a podcast. And then it's either 23 or question mark exclamation point. And our email for Gmail is apodcast23 at gmail.com. And do they have to do a screenshot or anything to they, show us? Yes, they got to send us a screenshot. And right now, I've got one. So, Jennifer, Ooh. 
You yeah. are going to I guess get you're that. the mantis. Hey, but she has put in so much work along with us. She's been rooting for us. Shout right out along. to Jennifer. So, Jennifer, you about to get that mantis if people don't uh, figure it out. We're going to do giveaways now and then because it's a fun um, way to interact. And I really want to get 100 subscribers. So force every person you've ever met. Where are we now? We are on Spotify, but also anywhere else that you can get. I meant subscriber-wise. Oh. I was like, well, we... <laughs> Do you remember the last We count? were at 51. So Halfway we there? 49. If every single one of our subscribers shares it to another person, that will get us to 100. I know we can do it. Come on, guys. I know you want to So the hear... screenshot has to be what? Just of them saying following on whatever they listen to us on. So you're going to take a screenshot platform. that says following. And send it. You can send it to is any it of our Is it going to be an places. email or is any any place on social media? Again? Any place on social media. I will tally it up. I'll do the hard work and I'll get it out to y'all. Um, but do you have anything else to say? I just wanted to say thank you again to our listeners. This really makes a big... It's it's the most fun I have all week is doing this and then sharing my thoughts with you, but also sharing my thoughts to the listeners. I really love the feedback that we've been getting. Oh, and your coworkers have been secretly sharing it to other coworkers you didn't share with in the first place because you didn't want to be, like, obtrusive about it. Right. So no, I love it. And it really makes a big difference to us. Uh, so we thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Shout out to my mom. Shout out to your mom. Uh, anyone else you want to shout out? I want to shout out Jenny, my sister. Ariel, my bestie. Jennifer, another bestie. Lish, another best. I've got a lot of besties. Um, you do. I will shout out more, but I don't want to make the list too um, long. <laughs> Well, not long, but I don't want people to feel left out. Right. Um, but That's why I had to make sure to include the moms. But Catherine Stovall is my favorite author, and we will be having her on the podcast shortly um, Woo. to anticipate the release of her new novel. Ooh. So I will go ahead and reveal that title maybe in our mini-sode or just right when she goes, but it's a steampunk time and it is great fun. I love her writing style and Haven't I've known been her reading for a while. I just started it. Yeah. Um, it is... I get it early. <laughs> well, fancy you. <laughs> yeah. So again, thank you to our listeners. I know this is kind of a little bit of a bigger episode, but maybe chunking it, maybe it helps. Any feedback, though, if, if you want us to be a little bit longer... A little bit shorter. We definitely want to take that into our account. You guys are super important to us. You guys really make this doing worthwhile. It's so much fun. I always look forward to it. But I really appreciate you guys. I know you would say the same thing, Teresa. Um, but that's all for me. I'm Mitchell Regan. I'm Teresa Stoddard. And this has been a podcast. <laughs> I will see y'all next Tuesday.